0: And then you can turn to Philippians chapter 2, we're going to look at verse, uh, I think I'm going to start in verse 5, and this is, uh, if you look at this in your Bibles, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse uh, 5-ish. and going on, if you look at your Bible, almost all Bibles will have these verses, uh, looks like six through eleven, as some sort of indentation, and that represents the fact that what I, what Paul is quoting here, the author of Philippians, he's quoting. Uh, an early church, an early Christian hymn. He's, he's quoting that here in the book of Philippians. And it's just excellent theology. And so as today as we talk about who Jesus is, I want you to pay specific attention to this, this set of verses because it's, it's absolutely amazing how Christ is God and man at the same time. And so listen to this passage or read along. It's Philippians 2 starting in verse 5. And it says this. It says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. And then he's going to describe Jesus attitude and says, who being in the very nature, God. So is Jesus God? Yes. Yes. Jesus being in the very nature, God. But then it says, did not consider equality with God, something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking on the very nature of a servant. He being made in human likeness. So was he human? Yeah, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father in heaven. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, we, right now, God, we ask you to open our hearts and our minds to understanding your nature. As we talk about something that is so extremely central to what we believe today, your nature, Jesus. We're talking about your godhood and, and humanity today and how those two things are combined. And beautifully, just, there's not a mix between your 100% godness and your 100% manness. And so, God, we worship you, Jesus. We, we honor you today as we learn more about you and about your nature. God, we are excited to do that, excited to learn about who you are. We love you and we praise you. All God's people screamed. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, uh, I've had uh, a lot of schooling in my day. I'm just kind of addicted to going to school. I like school. Anybody else kind of like school? Yes, I like that. I like that you like school because I like school. I was fi- I was figuring yesterday that I've been uh, 12 years of like first grade through 12th grade. And then I went to college four years, actually kind of like five. And then I went to, uh, I, went, I got my master's degree. That was three years. And now I, ju- I just love school. And I like, keep going to school I'm like I love it. Not because I'm wicked smart. If you know me, it, you know that I'm not wicked smart. Like, oh, I'm very smart. Everyone needs to listen because I'm very smart. Um, I just like school. It's a personal problem anyways uh and now i'm working on my doctorate which i've I've already completed four years of that so i've been going to school for 25 years of my life that's a lot of school. And I've had a lot of teachers in that time. And maybe you've had, like, looking back, you've had a favorite teacher. And I think my favorite teacher, one of the top five, at least, of all time, was a systematic theology professor when I was getting my master's degree. His name was Dr. Scalise. He was a short little man that had a mustache. And he looked a lot like the Monopoly man because he wore, like, really cool suits. He's was like, yeah, he's so cool. And he was from Seattle. So he'd always kind of, like, joke about, uh, I guess in Seattle they drink a lot of coffee. Does anybody know anything about that? I don't know, I guess that's where Starbucks is from, Seattle or something. So he'd always joke, he'd always say, caffeine in any legal form is allowed in this classroom. And then he'd just start laughing at his own jokes and drink some more coffee, and he's all hyped up on coffee and caffeine. <laughs> it's like, what kind of form of caffeine is not legal? I don't know. It, he was half joking about that. But it was a really cool teacher that would, was very much so like any other college professor. He would lecture and give notes, but then he would enter into sort of a discussion, and he would open up the class for discussion, and he'd have dialogue with students in the classroom. And the class I was attending was about maybe 15 students, so it was perfect size for really kind of getting into class discussion and talking. And he was very very good at um, kind of engaging discussion because you'd ask him a question, and instead of answering the question he'd throw back another question. Very like Socrates kind of way of, of learning. Like Socrates, like you know, answering a question with another question. You know Socrates from like 300 BC. Socrates taught Plato, who taught Aristotle. You know, one of the Greek dudes. And so it was always more questions. And, and so we asked him a question, which, by the way, I'm going to ask you this question a little bit later on, so you can start to ponder it. But someone asked him the question, could Jesus have sinned? Not did he sin, we know that he was a perfect sacrifice, and so we know that he didn't sin, but could Jesus have sinned? Someone asked the professor this, and of course he, instead of just answering the question, asked another question, he says, what is sin? And so the student's like, oh, sin, it's, it's going against God. And so then the professor asked, uh, asked another question, well, do you think God can go against God? And the student's like, oh, uh, no, I guess not. He's like, well, was Jesus God? And you're like, yes, Jesus was God. Was Jesus man? Yes, he was man. Can a man sin? And like, yes, Jesus, uh, a man can sin, but I don't know that God can sin. And so it, it, just a- asking more and more questions till he got down to the, the foundation of the question. Could Jesus have sinned? So really, you're asking about the nature of Jesus. You're asking, was he fully God or was he fully human? That's what you're asking. And the whole class. I mean, I was just in wonder, like, wow. I guess yeah, that that is really what this student is asking: is the godness and the humanness of Jesus? And it's just fascinating how 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 in this classroom with this great teacher, one of my favorite teachers, we were doing theology by 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 asking theological questions. It's just fascinating. It's it's a very very much like a, just a conversation, and and someone that's good at um, conversing about theology will just have more and more questions and get deeper and deeper to the root of theology and that's my kind of thing so today what you're about to get in here if you came to mill sunday school what you're in here doing and you've came to mill sunday school what you're getting is is really like a bible college lesson today is that okay with all of you I mean, it's going to, I'm going to be writing on the whiteboard. Uh, it's going to be lots of notes today, uh, very brainy. And so if you, if you, and by the way, I just, I, I'm really impressed with uh, with all of you that have that have come to Sunday school, keep coming to Sunday school. You realize that what you're getting in Mill Sunday School is not just more sermons, but really a teaching. I mean, if, you, if you're coming this whole year to Sunday School, you're really getting uh, like college level, Bible college level learning out of the Mill Sunday School. So I'm really proud of you. If any of you ever need like a recommendation, if you're going Into college, ask me, and I'll be like, Yes, they've been coming to Sunday school. They've been getting Bible college level credit out of Sunday school. So, are you ready for that? All right, excellent. Uh, Before we jump into that, uh, just a few announcements. Announcement number A is that uh, if you're newish around here, we do have uh, a little card there on the tables. If you fill out this card, uh, providing your information and stuff, so we can put you on our email list, we will give you a uh, CD if you give it either to me or to the people at that back table there. We'll give you a free CD, a little gift for saying thanks for coming and visiting Mill Sunday School. Uh, The other announcement is uh, my friend Ramil leads a small group. Ramil! Uh, he's a really cool dude. He leads a small group on uh, Wednesdays. I just want to announce this small group uh, again because uh, he leads a small group on Wednesdays. It's called Remade. It meets at his house. And he kind of pairs alongside of what we're doing in Sunday school. So this week, though, if you want to discuss more and if a lot of this goes over your head, go to the Remade small group on Wednesday night. Uh, ask Ramil or find, find one of the flyers around. Go to a small group and learn some more about the nature of Jesus. Those are your announcements. Sound good? All right, let's jump right into it. And this is, so you've got to stay with me today because it's going to be very, 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 very teachy today. Uh, In your notes, it says the Council of Nicaea. The Council of Nicaea. And I want to talk about this council because this is the council um, in which we get the Nicene Creed. Have you heard this creed before? Let me read the first part of it. You've probably heard it before. I went to a more traditional church when I was a kid, and we said this every single Sunday. We'd, we'd uh, all say it in unison. And it says, it says, we believe in one God, the Father of Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. Have, have you heard this before? It's a Nicene Creed. It's probably one of the most important creeds in Christendom. It's the creed that's stood the test of time. This, this council was called in 325 A.D. Is that a long time ago? Yeah, that was like before Facebook, that was before the internet, can you believe that? Before TV, it's like a really long time ago. Um, And and so this creed, this creed came out of the Council of Nicaea. And um, so here's what happened, just briefly. The Council of Nicaea was formed because uh, the Roman Empire... To be a Christian in the Roman Empire in the early church was illegal. It was against the law to be a Christian. And then the emperor of the Roman Empire became a Christian. His name was? Constantine, yes, excellent, excellent, Constantine. He became a Christian, and then he, he said, okay, let's call a council to, to bring all of Christendom together because everyone was scared. Everyone was, it was illegal to be Christian. If you're a Christian, they could persecute you and kill you in the Colosseums. So the emperor becomes a Christian. He calls a big council and says, let's get all the leaders of all the big cities together and let's, 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 let's standardize Christianity. Let's talk about it. Let's, let's figure out what we truly believe and write it all out. I mean if you're a christian you knew what you believe but let's write it all out Let's make a creed and so here's what here's what they got to do Uh, All the participating leaders of all the cities They're either called bishops or the the head christian leaders of cities were given free travel to and from the council Which met in nicaea nicaea is this little city in what is today turkey And so they were given free travel free lodging and they didn't have to travel alone They were allowed to bring with them two priests and three deacons doesn't that sound like a fun party? Let's just go to Nicaea and have a council. Everything's paid for by the emperor himself. And so you're like living at the Broadmoor, hanging out. Uh, you know, it'd be nice to, to, to be able to do that. Seeing as though just a few years previous to be a Christian meant death and so what an honor it would be to be a leader of this city of a a city and be called to be a part of this council and so uh, about 300 ish leaders from around the known world around the known roman empire world came to nicaea for this council and there was a bunch of things they had to decide on one of them being the creed we'll get to that in a second but uh, they had to decide there was a lot of debate on when we should celebrate easter because there's the Gregorian calendar, there's the Jewish calendar. So they got to decide when Easter was going to be, which is uh, the first Sunday after the first full moon, after the, after the vernal equinox is when Easter is, even today. Did you know that? I'm surprised you didn't know that. Anyways. <laughs> uh. They made some rules. They, they prohibited clergy from uh, charging interest on loans. So, so imagine yourself in a, in a tiny little village, and you're dirt poor, and you need money. The church has money. You can go to the church, get a loan, but then the church is like a loan shark, and they're charging you like 80 million percent, and they're like a payday loans cashed here you know big sign it's like no your church shouldn't be that right the church shouldn't be like a loan shark so they made a rule at the council it's like no no church can lend money and charge interest you can loan money but you can't charge interest and they are uh, they, they made some other rules about how a bishop is a bishop of a city is to be elected there has to be other three other providential bishops saying yes this bishop is the bishop unless you know because you anybody could just stand up and say i'm the bishop of this city and then he's like no you're not you got to have other bishops under authority over you so that was one of the rules this rule i I was not going to say this rule until Aaron uh, spoke about this on Friday. Were you all there on Friday when Aaron spoke about lust? Um, It was a a great sermon. He talked about a guy named Origen. And hopefully this won't, uh, uh, it's it's a little vulgar. I just can't get around it. If you were there, you remember that uh, a a guy named Origen back in the 200s cut off his manhood. because he was taking literally the verse uh, the, the verses that say uh, when Jesus says if your eye causes you to sin gouge it out if your hand causes you to sin cut it off he took literally if your cut it off and so, uh, and so he, his name was Origen. He's a huge church leader, huge church father that wrote tons of documents, uh, a really good Christian father of the 200s. He cut off his manhood. And so at this meeting, at the Council of Nicaea, they made a church rule, a church law that said, you can't do that. Aren't you glad for the Council of Nicaea? Yes. And so, excellent. And so they, they made a rule. <laughs> they said, yeah, that's not a good idea. And so here's, so you picture this uh, picture this council, 300-ish people from all around the known world at that time. I mean, that's really cool to think about, right? I mean, some denominations get together every five years or every so often and, you know, get together as a denomination and decide, you know, the rules about self-castration and, you know, other things like that. Um, but they get... <laughs> It's hard for me to concentrate now. Uh, anyways, so, man, can you imagine? Like, I don't know. Anyways. <laughs> uh, anyways. <clears throat> uh, so isn't it cool that the whole known church world, whole, all of Christendom, church leaders from all over the known world got together in about 325 A.D. and had a council. And th- this book, uh, Have you, have you seen this book, The Da Vinci Code? Of course you have. It came out in 2003. They made a big movie of it. Tom Hanks was in the movie. Um, I went out and read this book. You know, if, if, if you don't, if Christians don't want people to read a book, they shouldn't say, don't read this book. Because as soon as, like, a bunch of Christians get together and say, don't read this book, the first thing people like me do is th- we go to the bookstore and we buy this book. And, like, what's in this book? I'm fascinated. So, anyways, uh, I know I shouldn't do that, but it's just it's just what I do. I'm, like, fascinated to read this book now. So I went out. I was one of the first people to read The Da Vinci Code a long time ago in 2003. And uh, the, it's a fictional book. You know the book, right? You've seen the movie. You've, you've, maybe some of you have read the book. It's a fictional book about uh, some people in downtown Paris that uh, that uh, is, like, murder mystery uh, stuff, and the Christians have a big problem with the book. I have a big problem with the book because uh, it makes some claims about Christianity, and these claims are not true, and so it's presented in a fictional way, but some of the claims that this book is making about Christianity is simply not true. For instance, uh, on my book, on page 253, it's chapter 53, uh, the, the main characters Langdon and Sophie Neveu are uh, having a conversation with a uh, professor, Professor Tiebling, and uh, the, the, Professor Tiebling says that He's talking about the Council of Nicaea, and it says, that the, the, it says, hold on, you're saying that Jesus' divinity was the result of a vote at the Council of Nicaea? And it is like, yes, a relatively close vote at that, Teebling added. And they go on and on, bashing uh, the Council of Nicaea, saying that the divinity of Jesus, the, 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 the idea that Jesus was God, was just made up at this council and then voted on, and it was a relatively close vote at that. This is silly. This book is trash. <laughs> I mean, it's actually it's a good piece of fiction, in my opinion. It's a good, cool little murder, murder mystery novel. But but it's making claims about the Council of Nicaea that just are not true. Jesus' divinity was not voted on. And so here's what here's what we're going to get to. Um, there's 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 two names, and I wrote them down so you'd have the names: Athanasius versus Arius. Are you ready for that? Am I going? Oh, is this too much for you? No, it's it's just right. <laughs> uh, Athanasius versus Arius. Athanasius was a dude. Um, he was he became the bishop of Alexandria. Alexandria. is a really big city, at least at that time, in Egypt, a really important city. He was the bishop of that city. Really big deal. Uh, it, the story is is that when he was a kid, he was outside a church leader's window. And he was playing church with a bunch of other kids. And Athanasius was, like, just playing church and conducting a church service and baptizing his little buddies. (laughs) And and this church leader, looking out the window, saw these kids playing, went out there, and then just took these kids under his wing and said, Oh, you like church so much? You like baptizing people? Well, here's here's the heart behind it. Here's the, you know, here's the theology behind it. And started training these kids, trained Athanasius. Athanasius became a priest. Athanasius then uh, became a bishop of the city of Alexandria. Pretty cool. Dude, This other guy named Arius uh, was also at the council. So both of these dudes are at the council. One has one side, the other has the other side. Arius is kind of the bad guy. He, he's uh, described as a tall and lean, lean distilled, distinguished appearance and polished dress it said that women were charmed by his beautiful manners and touched by his appearance women were impressed by his aura of intellectual superiority he was just kind of a cool dude but he was problematic he had he argued with his leaders he liked to disagree he was a, i kind of picture him as kind of a wolf in sheep's clothing and here's the here's the deal these two guys uh, athanasius um was leading up the the, the council of nicaea and he, along with the, the the strong majority of people, were talking about Jesus' divinity. And Athanasius said that Jesus is God. Arius also said Jesus is God, but said he was created by God. And so here I'm going to draw some stuff on the board. Is that okay with you? Yeah. And so hopefully that there, there, you might want to draw this. I'll try to draw it nice and big and dark so you could see it in the back. Um, this is this is kind of a diagram of the discussion they had at the council of Nicaea. So here at the top, I'm going to have, uh, this is God. See that? That's God. And, and uh, uh, everything, that what I'm about to say will probably make you think a little bit, but then you'll be like, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Everything in the entire universe, all that is in existence is only one, is only one of two things everything is either god or something god has created think about that for a second everything is either god or something god has created and so like we like you know we like this rug that's up here obviously god didn't create it like that but god created the fibers and the matter is created by god out of nothingness and what we formed the rug you know but everything is either god or god's creation think about everything and so God is right here i 'm going to draw a line, a big uh, thick line. This represents uh, the line of uh, above this line is God. below this line is god 's creation, God or not God and so where um, if, if, and so let 's say for instance, below this line, obviously humans are we above or below the line below the line so you, I could put humans. Uh, at the, maybe at the top of this, you know, because we're in God's image, maybe angels could be up here. Angels would be up here near the close to the top of the thing. Uh, down lower would be like spiders are down here. Yeah. Anybody like spiders? No. I mean, so they're there. And then like even below, below spiders would be like cats and snakes and just like you know bad thing and then like maybe between these spiders and humans would be like mountain dew uh would be there and uh and so and so this is the created order everything below this line is a creation of god above above this line is god below this line is god's creation and so at this council, as they were conducting, uh, trying to word the Nicene Creed, they came to uh, a problem because uh, one of the dudes there named Irenaeus said, well, well, I think Jesus uh, belongs below the line. I mean, think about it. Where would you put Jesus um, on this line? Would you put it up here, God? Would you put it down here if Jesus was created? Would you put it maybe touching the line since Jesus was man and God? Like, where do you put Jesus in this little, you know, silly little graph illustration? But where would you put Jesus? Irenaeus said that Jesus would be right here. I'm going to draw a really, try to draw a really thick star. So Irenaeus said Jesus should be right here touching the line. That's where Irenaeus said Jesus should go in this line. That he is, uh, There's a verse, actually, that says that Jesus is uh, It's Colossians 1.15. It says, uh, talking about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Have you heard that verse before? That Jesus is firstborn over all creation. And so what Irenaeus said is, oh, maybe that means that Jesus was a created being of God. And so Jesus goes right here. Touching the line but below the line he's divinity he's divine, but he was a creation of God to save the world and and the council the whole council and Athanasius being the head of the council had a huge problem with that what Athanasius said was wait a minute. Irenaeus, you're wrong, because Jesus isn't the firstborn over all creation. What Athanasius says, maybe that's an analogy for, like, firstborn means, like, especially in the ancient world, a firstborn son gets everything, right? And in, in, in the structure, you know, the oldest son gets gets you know, the biggest portion, if not everything. And so this verse is more, he, Jesus is the firstborn, the owner over all creation, is what is what people like Athanasius and the council would say. And then Athanasius, the rest of the council said things like, well, what about John chapter 1, verse 1? Do you know that verse? It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God and so athanasius said and the rest of the council agreed with athanasius and they said no in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god and the 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 rest of that chapter goes on to say that the word was jesus in the beginning jesus was with god and he was god and then there's other verses um you could turn to it later it's john chapter 14 starting in verse 8 where philip and jesus are having a conversation and philip says lord Show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, Don't you know, Philip, even after I have been with you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me. And so Athanasius and the rest of the council of Nicaea said, Arius, you're wrong. Jesus does not go here. Jesus goes right up here, right with God, one in being with the Father. And so that's what we believe as Christians And today. It stood the test of time. Here's how the, the, uh, the, the creed words it. It says, We believe in one God, the Father of Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, Light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. And that that one little phrase there, of one being with the Father, is really what the council came down to. I'm going to try to write uh, two words up here. You could write these. Hopefully you could see them from the back. They're going to be long, big Greek words. Homoousius. and this word, homoous. Wait, man, I'm so bad at spelling. Homoous. Got to get it right. It's extremely important. Okay, if you look at these two words, if you could even read my writing, one of them has an I in the middle. Do you see this I right here? One of them does not have the I in the middle. This one, homoousius, means similar stuff. Similar. Homoousian means the same. And so the entire Nicene Creed boils down to this one little letter, at least between Arian and Athanasius. They, they argued deeply over is Jesus the same stuff as God, or is Jesus the similar stuff as God? It all boils down to that one little letter fascinating, don't you think? I mean, I told you that today's lesson is going to be very very heady, lots of writing on the board. Hopefully, if you come next time, I just to give you a little preview, we're going to talk about the importance of why Jesus, we believe Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. But today I just really want to define that for you and talk about, you know, some early Christian debates about Jesus was divine, but was he similar stuff or was he the same stuff as God? And we as Christians today, believe that Jesus is the same stuff, that Jesus is above the line of creation, that Jesus is one in being with the Father, that he was not made, he was always with God, that Jesus was in the beginning, was God, and was with God through all history. So, you okay with that? There's a lot. I know this is like college level, master's level, uh theology stuff, but you're okay, right? This is sunday school So here's the question I want you to to think about it's the question that my uh, my friend asked Uh, dr. Scalise the monopoly man from seattle, uh, when we were in our our uh, theology class could Jesus have sinned and I mean, it's not a trick question I'm, not trying to trick you and say Oh, there's there's only one way of looking at this problem uh, the, the problem the question is could Jesus have sinned, not did Jesus sin, because as Christians we say that Jesus was perfect, he was spotless, he was sinless in life. So he did not sin, but going back and looking at his life, could Jesus have sinned? you get the problem? So at your table, and you, and you could, uh, there, if you, you see, if you're at your, by yourself, you could think about it by yourself. Or you can move to another table. Feel free to invite other people with you. Um, think about that problem. Come up with some sort of, like, yeah, he could have sinned because of this. Or no, he couldn't have sinned because of this. Do you get the question? All right. Think about it. Talk about it. All right. Should we talk about it a little bit? Let's, uh, well, you know what I would love to happen is for, like, a raging debate to happen in here. which is like a fight. And there's people punching each other and screaming and just like yelling. He couldn't have sinned. Yes, he could have. Ah, like hair getting pulled and uh, stuff like that. So if you, if you had, and, and this, this may be really hard because some of you are probably on the fence or some of you are probably still deciding. But if you had to, to, to pick one, raise your hand if you would say he could have sinned. Excellent. Okay. Raise your hand if you think he could not have sinned. All right, on the count of three, there's going to be a fight. Just kidding. No, just kidding. Uh, well, let's discuss it a little bit. And, and just to remind us that we all are Christians in here. And, and this, I really don't like the term. I, I kind of joke. But I really don't like like Christian arguments. I would much rather call it a Christian discussion. Because, you know, we're all on the same side in here. We're not, we don't have to beat each other up and pull hair, right? All right, so let, let's talk about it. So get the attention of the Mike Dudes uh, there's two dudes, Patrick and Matthew. They have the mics, and then and then and then maybe say kind of like what your thoughts are about could Jesus have sinned? Yes, are you ready to go back there? Go ahead.
1: Sure. Uh, scripture talks about how Jesus uh, was taken into the desert and tempted, and to me it wouldn't make sense if like the sin was a
0: temptation unless he had the ability to do it. Right. Jesus was. So the argument is Jesus was legitimately tempted. Therefore, that doesn't make any sense if he wasn't actually tempted if he couldn't have sinned then it wouldn't have been a real temptation excellent point maybe someone from the other side yes veronica
1: yes jesus was tempted in the desert for 40 days but i know each one of us can think of a time when we've been tempted to do something but we haven't given in and the reason that we haven't given in is because we have the holy spirit living in us giving us the strength not to right so in the same way jesus could have been tempted he could have been tempted to do things but because he's god he has he not only has the holy spirit living in him all the time he is god he is the holy spirit he's he is god to the fullest extent so he couldn't have actually sinned but he could still have been tempted
0: excellent point so you see so you see her point which is huge it's about the sovereignty of god this idea that okay if everything is either god or not god then you know God created things like uh, uh, everything. I mean, I was going to give an example of what he created. That's just redundant. stupid. He created everything. Everything that isn't God, he created. And so, therefore, uh, there was nothing... There wasn't, like, goodness in existence before God. Or there wasn't laws of physics in existence before God existed. God existed all of eternity. He's always has been. And so his attributes, who he is... Has 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 made up who he is. It's not like goodness and love was around as God was for, being formed, and then God was formed in the image of love and goodness. No, we would say God was in existence for all time. Therefore, his his nature is in itself love and goodness. And so, can God do something that is against his nature? It's like no, he can't. He can't be. Sin, because sin goes against his nature, um, it's it's kind of like this, and this might rattle your mind, but if God was to do something, this I don't know if this is a good example, because it's going to get into really weird theology, but here it goes. If God was to sin, then that which God did, and, and did sin, then that wouldn't be sin anymore, because it would have been the ways of God. Is that really confusing? That how, really bad theology can come out of that. Progression of thought, but it's it's just my way of thinking about like the things that God is are the things that are good. It's good because they're God's attributes. It's love because they're God. God is love, right? Okay. Hopefully, hopefully that didn't confuse you. So, other points. I think the mics are the mics still going, Patrick. You still got some mics back there. I think these people want to talk, and it's it's too big of a of a. I mean, there's like a hundred people in here to talk to a hundred people without a microphone would just be abuse. So. I think that Jesus was also referred to as a second Adam. Uh Uh-huh. And when Adam Adam. sinned, he didn't have sin nature. So I don't think Jesus had to have sin nature in order to sin. Okay, yeah. So Jesus obviously was a perfect in being. So you're saying he could not have sinned? No, I'm saying he could have sinned because Adam sinned even when he didn't have the sin nature. Okay, yeah. Yeah, So so they both had the same option. Excellent, yeah. So it goes back to this whole idea of free will versus sovereignty, kind of, in some senses. Excellent point. Yes, ma'am.
1: Okay, here's my... I'm sorry I'm sick. Here's my train of thought. Okay. That I don't think God can create the antithesis of himself.
0: The what? Anti- the antithesis of himself. So if God is
1: the epitome of all goodness... Right. ...God did not create evil. Right. He created creative beings who had the choice to either choose what is good or in their ability to create, create what is the antithesis of God. And create Mm. evil. And God permitted his creative beings to create evil and to choose what is not God. And because Christ is both God and man, he cannot choose what is opposite the Father because he is part of the Father. But as in his own nature, he created the ability to choose what is not God because he is fully man. He could have chosen to be creative and be almost an equal power with God as God the Father. And be like a competitor. And then be instead of being like one God, being two gods that are in competition because he could have created evil. But because of his nature with God, his will was to do what was the Father's will. As seen in the Garden of Gethsemane, he could have chosen to say, my will be done, not yours, I'm not going to the cross. And in essence, kind of be an equal power because he is God. But because he was created by God, he'd be kind of under god still just like satan had a creative he was creative but he didn't choose. i mean everything i already said that god didn't create evil creative beings created by god created evil and god permitted it
0: excellent point in fact next time I, I i would love to get into the whole evil argument um, the, the problem of evil, which I'll describe next time, it's re- it really flows in. Excellent, excellent point. And uh, um, so next time, if you come to Sunday School next time, we will talk about the problem of evil. Because if everything is either God or not God, what about evil? And that hints the special problem of the problem of evil. Where does evil go? Did God create evil? Because then it's like, well how could God create something that's against his nature? Which kind of implies this whole problem of evil is interconnected, which we will get into next time. It'll take the whole it'll take the whole lesson, but we will get into it next time. Sound good? Fair enough? Okay. Excellent. I think we have one more. I think this goes back to what you're you're saying right now. If Jesus were to have gotten mad at somebody and hit him upside the head and killed him, would he have murdered him? Because murder is defined by God's law, who designed the law, and Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. So if God kills somebody, I don't think it's technically murder, according to the law. Exactly. And so in that (laughs) way, could you really... Could he have sinned? I, I say no, because... Everything he did was in line with... Like, yeah, he, he would have God. redefined the entire universe. Like, you know, if he decided that he was just going to get up and start flying, then then the rules of gravity would have changed completely. It's deep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a, the, excellent point. Excellent point. Here's what I say to that question. Um, it's almost as if because Jesus... Um, Was 100% God and 100% man. The big word. You want to know the big word for that whole idea? It's called the hypostatic union. It's actually on your notes. I'm not not going to write it down uh, because it's on your notes. It says hypostatic union. The definition of that. The definition of that big big word hypostatic union is that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. And here's the important part. Without a mixture because if it was a mixture then it would be 50% god and 50% man, right? But it's not a mixture. There is no mixture. He what and that's what's the mystery. And to be totally honest, it is a mystery. And in Christianity, there are some things that are mysteries because god we are not god, right? There's some things like the the divine nature of who Jesus was and the godhead are going to be mysteries. We can kind of understand them and grasp the importance of them, but You know, that's one of the things we'll have to wait and see when we get in heaven of how Jesus could have been and still is 100% God and 100% man at the same time without mix. So that's what the hypostatic union means. That's what that big word means. So to answer the question, could Jesus have sinned? In my opinion, you almost have to answer the question twice. You have to look at the 100% Godness and say, no, Jesus could not have sinned because Jesus was God and and god cannot sin against god because god is god his nature everything he does is a part of his nature so jesus could not have sinned because he is god and then you have to answer the second answer the question a second time and say okay jesus Maybe he could have sinned because he was 100% man and humans do have the ability to go against the will of God because they're humans and they're, they're, they're humans, right? Everybody, I mean, we're, we're sinful because we're humans. We've been created and we've give, been given free will and that's part of our humanity, right? Right. So it's a, it's a very interesting question. If this whole idea of could Jesus have sinned, it's a very good question. It's like other questions that you might get into, uh, like if you're at a coffee shop and you're discussing theology. This is the kind of fun stuff that I like to do. Uh, just think about these questions because the solution that, at least in my mind, at least kind of makes sense is you have to answer the question twice because Jesus was 100% God and 100% man at the same time. And so, for instance, you may have heard this example um, being, maybe when you were a kid or something, you came to Sunday school and you're like, how is Jesus God and man at the same time? And maybe your Sunday school teacher, trying to explain it to you, used a really bad illustration. Maybe, I mean, may, I'm sure your Sunday school teacher, if they used this illustration, wasn't trying to confuse you about the hypostatic union. But they, they may have used the example of, oh, it's like God in a human suit. Have you heard that example before? That Jesus is God in a human suit. That he put on human skin and he was God inside his human suit. Anybody ever heard of that? I heard that. as a, I mean, it's, it's good that you haven't heard of that because it's really poor theology. And let me tell you why. Because if you say that, if you say, well, it was like Halloween and God came down and put on a Jesus suit and he was walking around and he was like, yeah, that's, that's an example of how Jesus could have been. But the problem with that is that if Jesus was nailed to the cross and killed, then it was just his suit that felt pain, right? I mean, think about it. It's like, oh, it's like a scratch in the Spider-Man suit that you were wearing on Halloween. No big deal, right? I mean, kind of a big deal because it's Spider-Man suit, but no big deal if it's just your suit. And so the problem with saying that Jesus is God in a human suit is saying that Jesus didn't truly feel the pain and death of the cross, but he truly did feel the pain and and the death of the cross. Therefore, it wasn't just God in a human suit. It was 100% human and 100% man, uh, 100% God at the same time. And so another example is uh, that the, the other side of that is is that God made a human, and this human... Uh, was, was a really good human, and then some, some really poor theologians have said, the heretics of the church have been kick, kicked out of the church, or at least when the church was forming in the early days, for saying that Jesus uh, was just a man up until he was baptized. And then God descended upon him, and he became God at baptism. And he, and he becoming God, he just became really God's prophet. He was more human than God. And that has also theological implications that we don't believe in because, once again, we believe that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man at the same time. And so I'm going to close by reading um, the, uh, the passage that someone referred to, the passage of Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus talking to God and praying to God. And I believe in that passage you could see his full divinity and his, clearly his full humanity at the same time. Um, but before I do that, uh, I just want to kind of give a preview of next week of why this is so important. And I'm, I'm so glad you bared with this very heady lesson today. But um, I, I'm, I've been in Tibet twice in my life, uh, the city of Lhasa, Tibet, twice on mission trips. The first time I was with just two other guys, and we traveled to Tibet. Um, and does uh, everyone know where Tibet is? It's like this area of China that's like... like 10,000 million feet above sea level. Everest is in Tibet, by the way. Um, And so it's like the city of Lhasa. We had to travel five days via uh, four-wheel drive trails, crossing rivers, getting stuck in mud, in order to get to Lhasa, the city in the heart of Tibet. And uh, along the way, as we were going, we saw people um, making pilgrimages um, to go to Tibet. Um, Tibetan Buddhists, Go to the city of Lhasa to pray because there's very important temples for them in in Lhasa. And so people were walking. People were literally crawling to the city of Tibet to make it harder on themselves, to make the journey as hard as they could on themselves in order to please the gods. And so they would do prostrations. They would get down on their faces, like all the way down, lay on the ground all the way out, and then get back up, take a step. Get all the way back down, lay on the ground, and then get up, take a step. And they would do this for hundreds, literally hundreds of miles on the way to Tibet, in order to make their journey very hard, in order to get the attention of the gods, in order to impress the gods. That's the Tibetan Buddhist religion. Very, 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 very much so works-oriented. The more works you can do, the more goodness the gods see inside of you, then the better chances you have of being reincarnated as something higher when you come back. So that's what the prophet Buddha Taught, and that's what Tibetan Buddhists believe. And so we were outside one of these temples, the Jokong Temple in Barkor, downtown Lhasa, just watching. It's just amazing to see hundreds of people all bowing down and and worshiping the gods of this temple and trying to impress the gods in order for salvation. And uh, we were just watching and just being amazed that, wow, people are really doing this. You know, a thousand prostrations would be a great day, you know, for someone in Tibetan Buddhism um, to do, which is just an insane ab workout, by the way. But uh, anyways... This Tibetan Buddhist, uh, you know, with the whole garb, the whole orange, came up to us smiling, the three of us smiling, and said, uh, do you speak English? And we said, yes. He said, oh, can I talk to you and practice my English? We're like, yeah, sweet. And so he started asking us questions like, where are from? What do we do? Uh, and then, we, we, you know, we started asking him questions, and we started talking about religion and why these people were prostrating themselves, you know, laying all the way down, getting all the way back up. It's just fascinating. If you, if you ever go to Lhasa, you'll have to go to the temple and out. Outside of the temple is like marble that has been polished to a high shine because people are constantly laying down and, and their bodies are rubbing the stone, just like rock. You know, rocks get really smooth in water, but outside this temple is just like shiny glass marble from people prostrating themselves day in day out. Um, so, anyways, we were talking to this Tibetan Buddhist, this monk, and uh, he was telling in English. We were we were talking, and he was telling us about his religion, and he he was. He was telling us about Tibetan Buddhism. Then he asked us about our religion and said, oh, d- Christians, you guys follow the prophet Jesus. And we said, no, he is not a prophet. And he, this Tibetan Buddhist, this monk, could not understand. He was like, wait, a Buddha was a prophet. And we follow the teachings of Buddha, the prophet. Don't you follow Jesus, the teachings of Jesus as prophet? And we said, no, we do not follow Jesus' teachings because he was a prophet. We follow the teachings of Jesus because he was God himself. And, and we said that is such a huge difference. Like Christianity is different from any every other religion because we do not believe that Jesus was just a prophet showing us a good way to go into heaven. We believe that Jesus was God, that he was the way. He didn't show the way. He was the way to God himself. And so we got into this conversation about why we as Christians don't do all these works and have pilgrimages and have to lay down and get back up and lay down and get back up in order to please the gods, because we believe that Jesus was God and that he, you know, we tried to explain it the best we could. I think we used the analogy that, you know, Jesus does the prostrations for us. And so in some way, this hopefully this Tibetan Buddhist monk understood that you know, what we are saying is that the death of Jesus on the cross, he did all the work that we need to do. And we only need to believe in Jesus because he was God himself. And that is that we don't just believe that Jesus was a prophet. We believe that he was, in fact, God himself. And I hope to really get into that next time. But I, I do want to close with that passage in Matthew. And this, this in my opinion, shows the humanity and the, the Godhead inside Jesus just so beautifully. And the struggle of the Godhead and humanity inside Jesus. So if you want, I'm going to read uh, from Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26, starting in verse 36. This is uh, where Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was going to be killed on the cross. And since he was God, he knew the happenings, what was going to happen the next day. And so here's his prayer between him and God. And they're one in being. But there, but there is, you know, there is, there, they are separate persons, but they're one in being. And so here's that mystery. Here's, here's that conversation that Jesus has with God at the garden. It starts in uh, Matthew 26, starting in verse 36. It says this. It says, when Jesus was with his disciples, went, went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be very sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to him, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So he's with his disciples. and Maybe you've heard the story or read this before that his disciples are with him, and he goes off to pray, and then his disciples start falling asleep. But what I, what I want you to pay attention to is what Jesus prays. And it says this, it says, Going a little further, Jesus fell to his face uh, to the ground and prayed, My father... If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Talking about the next day, talking about how he's going to have to die. And then it says, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you not have kept watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. It's just, just a wonderful. Uh, you know, maybe not wonderful is the right word, but a, just a description, a beautiful description of Jesus being God, but being a, a separate person and praying for the will of God to be done. And it's this image of of The legitimacy of jesus suffering on the cross that he was human he did suffer on the cross and his suffering was is the gift of god to us because he was god and since he was god he's able to fully take away our sins let's pray this morning god as we as we are just amazed by by the power of who you are because jesus you are god we are amazed that you came to this earth in the form of a human being and God, you know what it's like to be filled with sorrow. You know what it's like to be troubled. You know what it's like to feel pain. But at the same time, your pain was unlike any of our pains because you didn't deserve it. You were God, you were perfect, and yet you came down and suffered for our sin. And so God, we see that that representation that you are God and that you are man at the same time, and we realize how important that is. God, would you help us help us to continue understanding your nature? the beautiful nature that you are God and that you are man, you're human at the same time. And God, as we understand that, we leave here praising you that you, a God, you, the God of this universe, came down and and gave us salvation by the redemption of your blood and your suffering on the cross. God, we receive that. We love who you are, Jesus. We worship who you are. And all God's people said,